things that we have held dear for such a long time, we're told we can no longer hold to those. I don't know where you were Friday morning when the Supreme Court decision came down. Five to four split decision in the Supreme Court saying that the states must grant same-sex marriage. The Internet's a buzz about it. News, that's all they're talking about on the talk shows. And what are the repercussions going to be? I don't know what all the repercussions will be. I know I disagree with what five of the Supreme Court justices said. And at the very least, I think it was a rights, an issue for the states to deal with individually and not for the federal government to deal with. Be that as it may, it's the law of the land. And while many people said things on the internet, on Facebook, as I myself reposted a few things, trying not to say too much, but staying within the word of God, uh, just trying to collect some thoughts. We know what God's word has said. Man cannot change God's word. God is the final authority in matters in which he has spoken. And I guess at one level I just want to reassure us that God is still on his throne and we still have a battle on our hands to fight the enemy. Fighting the enemy contains means that we take the gospel to the people of the world. Some will believe and change their lives and some will not. It is not up to us, and we cannot force their change. Everyone is tempted by sin, no matter what that is. They struggle with various things. Some are more blatant, more gross, we would say. Others may have some almost acceptability. But nonetheless, there is sin. Temptation is real. We must acknowledge that. The roots of the Supreme Court decision didn't happen, didn't spring up overnight. It's been going on for the last 50 years. As a movement has been trying to move to what I would say would be social acceptance. And I wish they would realize that they can have a Supreme Court decision that they're in favor of that still will not bring about social acceptance. Just to say that they have the right to marry doesn't change my view of what they're doing and where they stand. It does not change yours. And while we may know all of the passages from Exodus where God condemned homosexuality, while we may understand the story of Sodom and Gomorrah in part because of how they were judged, that doesn't change things. We may know and quote Romans chapter 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 12, and we'll talk about those passages just a little bit in a moment. It doesn't change anything. Those still stand. The Word of God still abides. Those weren't my, well, I can't say they weren't my first thoughts, but some one of my first thoughts was this. And actually I was thinking of another sermon for another day, thought this might apply to it, and then it struck me that this really applies to this. Because I think it's the nature of all sin, and I want to turn your attention to Philippians chapter 3. Paul has said in 
Philippians chapter 3 that he will have no confidence in the flesh. That he counts all things as lost for the sake of Christ. Verse 7 and verse 8. More than that, I count all things to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. May be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. That's what Paul was looking for. And as it continued on, it came to occur to him that he needed to encourage those Christians in Philippi because some weren't walking in the faith. So he tells them in verse 17, Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. He had already said on one occasion to the church in Corinth, Be therefore imitators of me as I am of Christ. He's restating it to the Philippians in another fashion. Most preachers, and I am one of them, I guess have to tell those people who will listen to them, I may fail you. Do as I say, don't always do as I do. Because in those failings you will see and you'll think, well the preacher did it so I can't. Now, the Word of God is our standard, and that's what we must live by. But Paul was one who could truly say, as he was following Christ, say, be an imitator of me as I am of Christ. And to the Philippians, he would say, join in following my example. Unite with me in the example of my walk. Walk right alongside of me. And also observe those who walk according to the pattern that you have in us. And I think by that he's including all of us, all Christians who are trying to live the life that Christ would have them to live. Observe their walk. Be encouraged by their walk, by their example. And follow them when you get tired, when you want to give up, when you want to think, well, does this really matter? Look to their example of their walk. Because it's very important. And he warns them in verse 18, saying, For many walk, of whom I have often told you, and now tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Those had to be hard words, painful words for Paul to have to say. Because he would have longed for them to be walking in the example and the pattern of Christ. But they were walking according to their own desires. The things that they thought were okay. He went on to elaborate on this in the next verse, in verse 19, saying, Whose end is is destruction? Now, me, if I'd have been writing this, I probably would have rearranged the word order just a little bit, just the way I think. But he's saying their walk is going to end in destruction. He's giving them the warning right up front. It's interesting. When we go back to the garden, and we can go back to 1973 for the latest Supreme Court ruling, where seeds were sown when the gay lesbian front stormed, if you will, and took over in 1972 at the fall meeting the year before, basically demanded that homosexuality be taken out of the DSM, the Diagnostic Statistical Manual of Mental Illnesses. It's a fact of history. 
It was not done by judicious and long-term lengthy studies into human behavior. It was done based upon political movement within a psychiatric association, the American Psychiatric Association. That happened in 1973, 42 years ago. One thing leads to another and another. and This isn't any harm. We're normal people. We just like people of the same gender. Don't tell us we're ill for that reason. Forget the fact that maybe it's considered an abomination. Unnatural, as the Bible would put it. Because it is. And no matter what they want to say, it doesn't go along with human anatomy. But anyway, that's another topic for another day, perhaps. But its real seeds were way back in Genesis chapter 3. But starting in chapter 2 to get the background, God told them that from the verse 17, in 16 and 17, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat it, eat from it, you will surely die. And from what I'm told, the Hebrew literally means dying, you shall die. If you eat this tree, eat of the fruit of this tree, your end is destruction. Satan tempted Eve. And he said, and indeed, God, has God said, you shall not eat from any of the trees of the garden? Oh no, we can eat of any one of them except this one, because we'll die. Oh, you'll not surely die. That won't happen. You will not be destroyed by your actions. And so she saw that it would... You know, you'll, your eyes will be opened. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And I understand that to mean not only that will they know the difference between good and evil... It's that they will be the determiner of what is good and what is evil. They will become God in their own right. Being able to see that, well, you know, this is good. The woman looked at the the fruit and it was a delight to the eyes. It was good for food. It was desirable to make one wise. So she took the fruit, ate, and gave to her husband, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. But when they heard God in the cool of the day, in the morning, they hid themselves because they were ashamed. And they explained the things to God. And God cast them out of the Garden of Eden and put a sword there. The cherubim and the flaming sword, verse 24, to guard the way to the tree of life. So they could not return. Paradise, as Milton said, was lost. And man has always wanted to try to get back to paradise. And man always tries to do it through those things which he determines what's going to be good for him. Doesn't care about what God says as a rule. Only those who come to acknowledge they're not the creator of life. They can't control anything. They have to submit and surrender themselves to God. But back to Philippians chapter 3 for a moment. Their end is destruction. Whose God is their appetite. 
that literally, older trans, some translations, even the uh, English Standard Version, the King James, and I forget which all of them that I looked at. I learned this, I think it was the older New American Standard, said, whose God is their belly. It's literally, it's not talking about just food, it's talking about any human appetite that you might have. When that controls you and makes you do whatever you want, it says whatever I want to do to be satisfied, to achieve sensual pleasure, is what I want to do. That's the way these people were living. Whose glory is their shame, is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. They don't care about the things above. They don't care about the things of God. These were probably the Gnostics of that early time, beginning out, where they viewed things intellectually as there are two ways of looking at it. There is evil and good, and flesh is evil. And so as William Barclay writes in his commentary on Philippians, stating it this way, he says, evil is bad, and the body is evil. Whatever you do with it will be evil. Therefore, do with it whatever you like. Since it is evil, anyhow, it makes no difference of what to do with it. These Gnostics taught that gluttony, adultery, homosexuality, drunkenness were of no importance because they affect only the body, which is of no importance. So it doesn't matter what you do. Just do whatever you want. Because it doesn't matter. You're a spirit being trapped inside an evil body. But Paul said in, first, in Colossians chapter 3, stating in verse 1, Therefore, if you've been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. Their minds were not on heavenly things. They were on earthly things. And that's what I think is going on today. In matters of all sin, the one of homosexuality is, we just see as perhaps one of the more base, the one of the more gross, the one of the more terrible sins of man. But they're all, sin is sin. But don't just think of homosexuality when you think of sin. Think of them all. Because man's problem is a sin problem. And when your mind is not on the things of God, it's on the things that are pleasing to you. And you are your own God, as Adam and Eve wanted to become their own God. I find it very interesting that in the Exodus wanderings, when Moses was gone, for a period of time the people became antsy, and they go to Aaron, his brother, who knew almost as closely as Moses did, not quite, about God. And they said, we don't know what happened to this Moses fella. You make us a God that brought us out of Egypt. They wanted something tangible. And if Aaron would have stood his ground and said no, God would have been in control. And the people would have responded however they were going to respond. But God would have been in control. But Aaron sold out. Just like Adam and Eve. He made them. He said, give me your gold, your rings, your necklaces, your jewelry. Give me your gold. And he put it into a fire. And just so happened, out came this golden calf. Right. Explain that to me, how you just throw it in there and poof, it comes out. No, it was made. Craftsmen built it. And Aaron was guilty of it because he feared not God, but the people. Adam and Eve were led astray. Aaron went astray. 
those who go astray, their end is destruction. Their minds, their God is their appetite, their glory is their shame, and they set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is from heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has to subject all things to Himself. You want to go to heaven, you have to go set your mind on Christ, on heavenly things. Your appetite is on godly things, on spiritual things. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Their mind isn't on earthly things, on temporal things. It's on godly things and doing what God wants to do. Now, I know in many ways I'm talking to the choir that probably everyone, well, I can't say everyone because you never know about the outlier, believes exactly what the Bible teaches in regard to homosexuality and sin. But I want you to notice something that's happened. Christians on my Facebook page, some that I thought were older older and mature enough, they're younger, they're my children's age, and maybe some even a little older. But on their Facebook profile, some of them changed it, They would put a filter, if you will, over their image of the rainbow flag. Yay, it's happened. I had a good friend. I'm not surprised at anything anymore. But when Ireland uh, legalized homosexual marriage, he goes, yay, Ireland. He doesn't understand. Now, he's not a Christian. He doesn't understand the things of God. He is of the world. I think he believes. And the problem is, in their desire for acceptance, once they got it moved, the gay lobby, from the American, from the DSM 2 or 3, whichever version it was, whichever iteration, it was a move towards social acceptance. Now we're not psychologically ill. We don't need treatment. We can move into other areas. And now... They want to have the same legal rights for marriage. Why marriage? Because a civil union doesn't say marriage. A civil a marriage says we're part of the mainstream. And the problem is, since 1973, when this has all been going on, has been it's been affecting a younger generation that doesn't know the difference. And they see their friends and they personalize their friends who may have announced in coming out. I know that there was a young man in Heather's high school class that when he left Kansas, he came out of the closet. Nobody in high school knew him to be in the closet. He kept it quiet until he leaves. He's a nice kid. He's easy to talk to. We've had him in our home. But he's lost. Oh, he's not lost just because of the sin of homosexuality, but because he's lost in his own world. His own world of his God is his appetite. And his end will be destruction if he doesn't change. But you see, when you personalize something, you make it acceptable to them. You say, well, I understand how they feel, and they want this, this is an emotional bond here. They want to have that same privilege 
They're okay people. I know them. They're kind and generous and compassionate. I imagine that other that criminals fit the same category amongst themselves. That people, when we personalize the person, we take sin away from it. And the danger is what Paul said at the end of Romans chapter 1, after saying that, that God gave them over, in verse 26, to the degrading passions for their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, men also abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in the desire toward one another, men with men, committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. But he goes on and he lists a whole lot of sins. And then he says in verse 32, although they know the ordinance of God that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who do practice them. And now we have a generation of Christians, some that have obeyed the gospel of Christ as we preach it, that are accepting of it. And so they're moving away. And what is the danger of their acceptance of it? Not that they're going to be practicing homosexuals. But because they're not being friends to their friends. You see, Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 1, But realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, haters of good. Treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Holding to a form of godliness, although they did not have denied its power. Avoid such men as these. He goes on to say in chapter 4 to Timothy, Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. They will turn aside their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. You see, that's where people are going. That's the continuum. I don't have to worry about me being accepting of it. If I have a friend that comes out of the closet, I will say, you're my friend, I love you. And I love you enough to tell you that if you don't change your ways, you're going to walk away from God. That right now your God is your belly, your appetite, and your end is destruction. And I'm sorry to tell you that, because I know it hurts. But you have to deal with it, so that you don't blame me at judgment. One of the saddest songs, I think it's in our songbooks, it's not in this one, it's in our old one in the back that we don't use anymore, in the purple ones. You never told me about Jesus. That's the problem with sin. It becomes accepted at a certain level of it, and we don't challenge anybody. And it was Dr. Carl Menninger, a psychiatrist in Topeka, Kansas, who wrote the book, Whatever Happened to Sin? Or Whatever Became of Sin? Nobody wants to call sin what it is. Unless it's really the bad and gross ones that we can all identify with. But I can guarantee you, you go to work, you go to do whatever you do, and you can find somebody who's having an extramarital affair, fornication, adultery, 
And they will make such a pleading case that this is right. This person is their soulmate. And they can't divorce their wife because they've got kids and they don't want to disrupt their kids' lives and this and that. But you tell them it's wrong, but you don't understand. It's bad at home. My husband is a jerk. My wife's a jerk. And this person we've just connected so deeply in one of these days... They'll make it sound so good. Or the person who's down and out, they're broke, and they go into a Walmart store, a grocery store, and they steal food. Still stealing. There's other ways to get food. But we personalize it. We make them human, and we don't want to judge them as bad. We're not the judge, brethren. I don't want to judge anyone. In fact, one of the best things that I read was a good friend of mine, Carl Farrell, who wrote about this. And he just gives us some good things to think about. My first thought is, he didn't write this, I'm telling you. God's still in control. No matter what happens, he's still in control. And God did say through the words of Paul... That we are to be in subjection, in Romans 13, to the government authorities. Whether there is no authority except from God, and those which are established are established by God. Jesus said on one day in paying of taxes, give me a denarius, give me a coin. Whose image is on it? Caesar. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar. The things that are God's, the things that are God's. What do we do? We listen to our government. Paul lived upon an oppressive government where you might one day be thrown to the lions, crucified, just for being a Christian. We still live. He didn't advocate revolution. He didn't advocate disobedience of any kind. He just said live. Be subject to the government. It's easy to be subject to the government when the government agrees with us. And it's not so easy when they disagree with us. But we have to be subject to our government. We are strangers and aliens, Peter said in Second First Peter chapter one, or chapter two, excuse me, living in this world, proclaiming the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's our purpose. Paul would go on to say in Romans chapter three, or Philippians chapter three, as I read, our citizenship is in heaven. We don't worry about what goes on here. We focus on the things of God. The best thing we can do for is to pray for our leaders, as Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Pray for those in authority, that we might lead a tranquil and quiet life. That they might rule their people in a compassionate manner. That they might rule in a righteous manner. For as Solomon said in Proverbs 14 and 34, righteousness exalts a nation, but a sin is a disgrace to any people. We are not, when we disagree with someone, be hateful, mean, ugly. Carl wrote this. We are to be the aroma of Christ, and that requires us to treat every being, everyone made in the image of God with honor, respect, loving them as God loves them. And loving them as God loves them means enough to tell them sin is sin. If we, Paul could do it in the face of martyrdom, in the face of the crucifixion, in the Colosseum, 
we can do it in the face of a Supreme Court 5-4 decision that says you must states grant homosexual marriage. We will not accept them, the marriage, as being godly, for it is not. But the state has ruled. And what will that do for us on a personal level? I don't know. But just beware, your children have been moved step by step through time to get to this point to where this decision was going to happen. But we must still stand where God stands. Carl closed, and only as Carl could. You have to know Carl. He closes his article, It's an exciting time to be God's child. We're beginning to stick out. We're God's people. We are strangers and aliens living in a land that's not our home. Our citizenship is in heaven. That's where we're going. We still make it our goal and our purpose, and we try to take as many with us as we can. Because Jesus is tenderly calling. That's the song 947 that's been selected for the invitation. This lesson hasn't been one to tell you about the fundamentals of obeying the gospel. Hopefully it's defined a little bit of what sin is using one the major ones that we don't like to talk about very often. But to expose all sin, not just one, for they're all sin. So we just deal with sin by the blood of Christ. And it washes away all sin. And then we teach them to live a godly life. Have you started your walk with Christ? Have you had your sins washed away? If not, all things are ready. Come while Jesus is tenderly calling. Come to Jesus.